Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello and welcome to Hometown Glory, your Spurs, culture and tennis podcast. I'm Charlie and we've got Rosa and Tom on tonight for an episode where we're not going to dwell too much on the Brighton defeat, but keep level heads as we look forward to the next stage of the top four roller coaster. Um, but we should obviously start with Brighton on Saturday. Um, a quite surreal day, really. Um, I think Billy said on Twitter, there are a few things more beautiful than Tottenham on a match day in the sunshine. And until about 10 to 5 in the afternoon, it really looked like uh, our team had totally ruined that beautiful thing for us. Um, I guess what went wrong is my question. Um, Rosa, thoughts? What, what, what went wrong? Why was it so awful with very few redeeming features whatsoever? Was it because I was there? I didn't come to you for that reason <laughs> first, but... I'm glad you've addressed the elephant in the room. Yeah, um, I just want to get out of the way. How, right how, are you, now. how are you feeling? Can I ask? I sort of. I'm interested, actually, Rosa, to know your your own sort of mini level of, of emotions. Yeah, and are you now starting to get worried? Because, like, when did you during that match? I mean, I was sat quite near you, and we hung out afterwards. You were saying that by like, was it half time? You were sort of, oh god, this is like we're not going to win this match, and it could possibly be down to me. Yeah, I definitely felt it. Do you know what? Like, it has been my own um, personal mini roller coaster for sure, because I was super excited and I got to go with Ollie, and we haven't been to a match together since the opening game at the new stadium, right? Because then I had a baby and then COVID happened. So, like, the things that had to align for that day to happen for us. Um, so, like already I had the fear of Tottenham kind of screwing it up. And yeah, and by the time when we got to half time, I thought I'll give it like a few minutes after half time because I just assumed that we couldn't possibly be as bad after half time as we were prior. And 
then it just didn't look like there'd been there was like a little bit more energy but not really right and then after a while I just thought oh my god this isn't going to happen like we are we're definitely not going to win and I thought we might actually lose and there was that sort of flurry of five minutes when Lucas came on but then he just sort of dropped off and I thought that's that we just don't have we don't have sort of game-changing match-winning substitutes really the Leicester away game aside um and then we lost and I will say at halftime I was like embarrassingly upset I really wanted to cry because I just felt so I felt so gutted for me (laughs) ultimately I just felt so disappointed and devastated and also now a bit like feeling like a jinx really and then after that I decided actually do you know what I I this isn't down to me and I'm not sorry that I went and you know who does need to apologize to me and to everybody else is Tottenham Hotspur Football Club for screwing it up again when it was completely unnecessary and they played so poorly in just completely unacceptable fashion and I would also just then thank Arsenal for saving the day, really, and ensuring that I did get like a glorious afternoon out in the sunshine with Ollie and with you and with Ash and our friend Kath. So ultimately, I don't really feel like a jinx anymore, but (laughs) I haven't sorted out my ticket for the next home game. So let's just leave it there. (laughs) Um, I think it was quite, it was quite sort of, it was a shock to the system, I think, that defeat and the performance that went with it. Because, Tom, I guess like none of us saw it coming, right? We were, you know, I think perhaps, you know, the, the, the history of Tottenham would suggest we should have seen it coming. But based on the performances we've had in the last few weeks, it just felt like, and perhaps as well because it was, you know, it was a lovely sunny day. We were going first. I think we were all, you know, it was a bank holiday weekend. The vibe just felt so glorious going into that match that then to be served up that sort of putrid level of like nonsense that Spurs put forward was just yeah it was really jarring wasn't it well I definitely predicted that we'd win um and we were all buzzing on the last podcast but I did I can recall that I mentioned that not that long ago we lost those awful games against Wolves and Southampton at home back to back and Brighton, yeah, unfortunately felt like more of that, really, didn't it? Back to back to yeah. that team. I can't really uh, find any redeeming features in the game. In the, the day, I had a lovely avocado and toast brunch with my mate Linton <laughs> at King's Cross. As the weather was absolutely beautiful. We got a quick beer uh, in the Beehive, then one outside the stadium. Uh, yeah, it felt lovely. Gorgeous bank holiday. And then the football totally ruined it. The first half was just so frustrating. Sat in the South Stand. And I know Ash, if he was here, he he hates the crowd getting on the players' backs and kind of moaning about recycling the ball or whatever. But sat in the South Stand in that first half when Lloris kept playing short passes to Dyer and Romero, and then often them having to play the ball back to Larice in goal because Brighton were already putting so much pressure on us. And we didn't mm. seem to learn. Like, Brighton were really pressing, um, and Larice kept playing those short balls, so much so that I think the first time he played one over the top was in the at the start of the second half, 
and there was like a loud jeer, jeering sort of cheer from the crowd that he'd finally done it. Uh, I'm not saying that they were the only ones at fault, but yeah, that first half was terrible. Half time, I thought, okay, well, it's going to be like Villa. They're going to get a bollocking and they'll come out brilliant. Mm. They didn't. They came out terribly. And um, yeah, by sort of 70 minutes, you just thought, well, they're Brighton are going to nick it, aren't they? I also think last podcast, we talked about the telepathy between Kulu, Kane and Son. The three of them were, were absolutely terrible. Anonymous. Saturday. Anonymous. It's totally, bizarre. Totally anonymous. Like you said, maybe Lucas had a brief uh, period when he came on, but I think that was Kulusevsky's worst game for yeah. us. Benton yeah. Poor's worst game. He he wasn't great at all. There was like a moment that epitomised it for me um, when we uh, Son played that short corner to uh, Kulu in, it was about the 55th minute after half time. And it led like, it was awful. The, the, the corner, it was obviously some training ground move that didn't come off. And then, Within seconds, Brighton then had a throw on and we just gave the ball away so often and so cheaply. And yeah, we were, we were, we were so, so bad. Thankfully, the sun kept shining and yeah, I went to the, got to a park um, in South London with the family. And uh, by that point, I'd heard that Arsenal had lost. So that was great. But imagine how buzzing we'd be right now if we'd won that and then Arsenal had lost. We'd be you know, extremely confident at this point about getting fourth. I'm, um, I'm sort of telling myself that had we won, I think Arsenal probably wouldn't have lost. I think that they buckled under the pressure of knowing that we had slipped up and that they had an opportunity to take full advantage and that probably sunk them in a, you know, very arsenal way that they seem to be showing at the minute. So that's, that's how I'm consoling myself around that. Um, what I can't fathom is that, and I guess this is still linked to Arsenal and Brighton, is that you know Brighton literally played exceptionally well seven days before, a couple of miles down the road, in a manner from talking to Arsenal friends, very similar to how they set up against us in terms of, you know, very kind of tactical performance, denying Arsenal space in the areas that they like to work, all the stuff that we saw, I think, on Saturday, they did the week before, and we just seem to be devoid like it's, we seem so stumped by playing a team that wasn't going to give us that space in behind or wasn't going to just pour forward and give us opportunities to break and I can't figure out if it was a kind of cockiness on our part that we have you know we'd spent the week prior reading all the lovely things that people have been writing about us and on the podcast writing about the performances and how fourth was nailed on for this Spurs team now etc etc or we kind of panicked a bit because we're now favourites for fourth and this was a fixture we were expected to win and suddenly it all, you know, gets a bit jittery and the knees start buckling, etc. Um, Rosa, which one was it? <laughs> Cockiness or terror? I'm just shaking my head because, to be honest, that's the eternal question with Tottenham, isn't it? It's just like, <laughs> are they just complete cowards or are they dickheads or are they just both? <laughs> I honestly... Do you know what? There's there's like two massively, massively frustrating things about that for me, like on like on top of the fact that like it was an entirely predictable loss, which is like one, why 
do Spurs always make it their business to like immediately disprove everything you've just been saying about them? You know, <laughs> so we've spent the whole of the last week just being like, it's fine. We come out stronger in the second half. And they're like, no, we don't. You know, they can find their way around teams. They're not going to buckle under the pressure. Yes, they do. Whatever. It's just, um, you know, thinking that we had this like great 11 that was fine. Now they don't have to play. They can, they only have to play one game a week. That's fine. Um, so like everything, we, you know, everything we'd set up for them, they were just like, actually, you're wrong. And mm. we're just the same old Tottenham. And the other thing that's really frustrating to me is that I don't even feel like Brighton was that good. Like I admit I didn't, you know, I didn't really watch their game against Arsenal. So I don't know. But certainly at least to begin with, they were sort of like they were pressing, but not pressing. Do you know what I mean? They were like very high up in a line, but they weren't moving they weren't being like aggressive, like getting up in our faces. So it was like it wasn't even necessary to be that timid. Yeah. But then when I they am... realized we weren't going to do anything, they only, they just realized they only, they just had to hold out. They just needed to be organized. Yeah. Because... They kind of did the bare minimum throughout yeah. whilst yeah. sort of steadily growing in confidence that they could actually just go in the kit, which Bas- obviously Basuma, they did. Basuma was very good, wasn't he? Um, They've got yeah. some good players for sure. Yeah, I, like that, their, I mean, like I would swap, back, right. I would swap their wing yeah, backs for our wing backs sure, right. in a heartbeat. Kukurela yeah. and Lamptey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we always we have swap. to mention Lamptey for Billy, of course. Yeah, <laughs> of and course, their left back. I think yeah, Kukurela is definitely worth picking out. I think he's a really, really good player. He was with incredible great. hair. Like you know, amazing hair, really great <laughs> hair. I kept being like, who's the guy with the hair? Um, like you said, Rosa. I think they totally mugged us off. And also the uh, this time last week there were all the tweets and kind of articles saying uh, our Son, Kulu and Kane, the best front three in the league. As we record this, uh, Diaz, Salah and Mane have each scored one and each assisted one um, as <laughs> Liverpool play. Yeah, so we, we've just pissed them off, basically. So And, and they're going to win, they might win four trophies. So I would say maybe Son, Kane and Kulu aren't the best front three in the league just yet. Although, I wanna... admittedly, Liverpool can rotate. Five. But like, again, your love letter to Kulu last week and then on Saturday he was yeah. just like, Tom, you're wrong. I rejected your love. Who was that guy? <laughs> like, seriously, it was it's terrible. It was back to his like, you know, those sub, cameos against um southampton brighton. wolves where he just yeah like yeah like his yeah his first ever performance against brighton where he just looked like a competition winner just mad levels of ineptitude from him was it as bad and he should have been sent off game. as well yeah but then they should have had a player sent off right so i thought it was um, it was like the wolves game but in reverse and that wolves like scored really early and then didn't have to do anything because we were so devoid of energy or creativity whereas here it was like we started off how we finished that game, sort of huffing and puffing a bit, not doing anything. And then Brighton sort of got the sucker punch right at the end. But, mm. you know, it was like, it was it was mad. And, you know, we were talking, you know, between us a lot over the weekend about like, it's, it's difficult to pick out names in terms of who you criticise because they were abject, all of them. I do think though that because he's our best player and also because he literally flew to Augusta to watch golf during not a break. Like they just happen to, you know, be playing once a week now, but I do not, you know, and obviously had we won, no one would be talking about Kane going to the masters or whatever, but I really, really hope that it's just like, 
lockdown at the Conte Gulag now for seven days a week. Like none, no more Mr. Nice Guy, no more days off, no more, you know, let, sort of letting the players like basically no more trusting footballers to make the right decisions about this stuff because they cannot be trusted. Fourth is too important. No. They're giant children, the, the even giant if they children. have children of their own. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they all, they he was, he was awful. That was the worst, I think, personally, even in the, in the context of the season where he basically, like, mentally didn't show up till about October. I think that was worse than anything he's put in all year. He did literally nothing or match, really. I can't think they of anything did. good he did. The entire team at halftime, I, I remember saying they looked lethargic as if yeah. if you told me they'd played midweek and like yeah. we'd flown to Kazakhstan and played a Europa League game on, on, on the Thursday, <laughs> I'd have believed you um, because, we, yeah, we looked totally knackered and we've got no excuse. At least when we played those Southampton and Wolves games, our, our schedule was a lot busier. Um, whereas now, yeah, it's one game a week. They had an entire week to prepare for that Brighton game. Yeah. Like you said, Charlie, that we, we saw what they did at Brighton. Like, you know, Conte is not absolved of, and his team aren't absolved of guilt here either because they saw what Brighton could do against, um, against Arsenal. And they've been on a, quite a decent run. Everyone knows what Graham, how Graham Potter sets up his teams as well. So, yeah, anyway, so, so frustrating. Yeah, inexcusable, I'm... inexcusable. And I don't even really understand why Kane didn't, like, at least normally in those games, I feel like he tries to make things happen, but it he was nothing. Yeah. There was no, it was so static as well. That was absolutely maddening. It was static. And then also just, we lost every single 50-50. Mm. Like, I can't. And I think when you do that, you stop getting lucky with things like second balls. And I noticed in that game that, you know, often when sort of a Dyer or a Romero or a Davies does one of their, you know, diagonals or chip balls forward, much like the first goal against Villa the week before, you know, if you put the ball in the right area, you often get a knockdown falls your way or, you know, a defender tries to, tries a headed clearance and it lands to one of your strikers. It seemed like nothing like that was happening. Every time, you know, someone it like deflected off someone, it would fall to a bright player and I think, you know, you basically make your own luck in, in those matches. And I think because we looked so lethargic, because we were losing every 50-50 challenge, it just seemed to end up being Brighton that were coming away with the ball in every instance where it might actually be, you know, you could create a chance from something falling away. Just just pitiful. Um, I'm loath to let the mood of the podcast uh, be too sort of dragged down by that performance. So, I feel like because we literally have nothing good to say about any of them, we should we should keep things moving. Um, fortunately, of course, as we've... Oh, Rosa, go on. I just wanted to say that I do <laughs> feel like um, Hoybier wasn't too bad, actually. Do you know I do what? have my That's own personal point. hero and villain, and I think I think Reguillon was by far the worst. I know that, like, in terms <laughs> of the bar, Kane has said that he was the worst, but I think Reguillon was, like, absolutely the worst performer out there. And I think Hoybier was actually pretty decent, and I feel enraged that his like fantastic little um dribble um and cross just got completely yeah, wasted like somebody behind me was match. like go on Zidane <laughs> and it just you know, got totally just... wasted <laughs> <laughs> the most um and didn't didn't uh, Mourinho once jokingly call him Zidane as well I feel like he did a little pirouette thing in yeah. the Europa League game that's probably why yeah um 
sort of apt to bring up Jose, of course. Today it's the, the year anniversary of him being sacked today. Um, the record, which seems One mad. Seems like a, days in our club's history. Seems like a lot has happened since then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. um, uh, what was I going to say? The fact that the Hoybier little pirouette and run for that chance that he sort of pulled the ball across the face and, and Regulon wasn't there in time. Like, number one, the one moment of sort of inspiration that anyone showed on the pitch, like you say, Rosa, we couldn't capitalise on. And number two, you know full well that Matt Doherty would have scored from that situation, which just made it really, really annoying, that injury. Our fallen and king. I, I am now slightly terrified that like we're going to crumble like a pack of cards because we can't play Matt Doherty at left wing back, which seems <laughs> so completely belonging to another vortex of time and space that I don't even understand those words coming out of my mouth. But Is the sort anyway. of thing that could only happen to us, let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> um, fortunately, Arsenal have a lot of injuries as well that seem to have completely sunk them. Those, those injuries to Party and Tierney just... Yeah, they, I mean, they're in a bad, like we're, you know, we're hoping, right, that that Brighton performance was one of those things that Conte can now use as a rod to beat them with, get them fired back up. It's an anomaly. You know, you do not do that again. You don't go into a match like that for the next six fixtures and hopefully we'll, you know, there's enough credit left from previous performances that we'll, we'll steady that ship. Arsenal now are in a, a bit of a tailspin, right? That's four defeats from the last five. I read today that they've scored with two of their last 63 shots, which doesn't seem very good. <laughs> um, both their strikers' contracts are up in a couple of weeks, and they're the guys that they're sort of relying on, rely, relying on goals for, really. Um, and yeah, like the party injury, particularly, again, I was reading today, and I didn't, I don't think I realised quite what a good season he was having, maybe because I just don't always like to read match reports when Arsenal have won, but. Their win ratio drops from 62, sorry, 65.2% to just 25% when party doesn't start. The number of goals they scored decreases from 1.83 per match, sorry, per 90 minutes to just 0.38. And the number of goals they concede rises from 1.09 to 1.5 per game. So I'm just hoping that Arsenal might kind of continue letting us off the hook. Um, and United are awful. Like, I mean, Liverpool are taking them apart as we speak, which, you know, I feel like Liverpool do that to most teams. But I just have a feeling slash hope that we're the least, despite Saturday, the least kind of basket casey of the team still in this sort of ridiculous, you know, who can fail the least for top four. Um, after the weekend, bit of a sort of temperature check. How, how are you both feeling about it all? Um, Tom, you, you know, obviously no one's as confident as we were when we were talking last week, I'm sure, but considering the context of what Arsenal are up to at the minute, the fixtures we've got coming up, how are you feeling? Still can't even talk about it. I just don't, I just, I, 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 <laughs> an, I know. An issue on, I, in sorry, this forum. I should have, I should have, yeah, I know. I should have not come on the podcast. Um, I think, uh, I mean, I just don't want to jinx it, but I think you're right. I'm enjoying United being a fucking shambles. That's great. Um, Arsenal's injury problems are great news. West Ham drew at the weekend, didn't they? So they're surely out of it now. They've also Plus, got... they're just going to be so distracted, yeah. 
quite well, right. Yeah, and they've also got an injury crisis of their yeah, own. Yeah, centre back. They, they yeah. seem to have no centre backs for their Europa League um, semi final. So fingers crossed, their European adventure comes to an end. Th- this must be causing you quite a lot of, I, I dare say, sleepless nights, Tom. West Ham, sort of European. We trophy could, winners. We could still have uh, West Ham win the Europa League and Jose Mourinho win the Europa Conference with Roma, having failed to win anything with us and just go and win a trophy with Roma immediately. Um, so Just yeah. make your peace with it right now. That's the only way. Yeah, I, I can't make peace with the West Ham thing. I, I've, I read today as well that if they win the Europa... They would go into the cha- obviously they'd go into the Champions League next season, but they'd also go into the Champions League as top seeds. So they'd like get. I mean, there's no easy easy group, I'm sure, in the Champions League, but they would they would like be one of the eight top seeds in the Champions League. Surely, like you know, that's ridiculous though, because all of those fucking years where Europa didn't get you anything, and then all of a sudden they're like, you can have Champions League and go like straight to the top. Like, how dare you? How dare you, Europa? <sighs> Yeah, come on, Eintracht, please. My, my, I, I, I was going to say they're they're my German team, and they kind of are. And I've been to see them, and one of my very good friends is a huge fan, has taken me. So they are. Are they my, the Moody Diva? The Moody Diva, yeah. They're. Are you? Unfor- I'm sorry, I don't trust them. Yeah, they're not to be. Their their nickname, mm-hmm. Tom, literally is. It, it translates to, as Rosa says. <laughs> <laughs> kind of to say it out loud without laughing, knowing that we're going to have to trust them to basically. Well, I mean, I guess Leipzig would be favourites against West Ham in a final. You'd hope so. You'd come hope on. so, right? I mean, especially they've got, got like no Champions League bags. pedigree. Oh, yeah, especially. I can't watch Mark Noble <laughs> out there lifting a trophy. Please, Lord. He can't win a trophy before. I'm, I'm worried to even continue down this for fear of like a West Ham fan thing, like getting audio of this and enjoying it when they do lift it or something. But yeah, I'm putting us up to this oh, right now. Yeah, yeah we need to stop it. Stop, we're we're yeah. kind of, I feel like we're talking <laughs> it into reality as well. Um, but. Tom, do you feel like out of 10, how confident do you feel we're going to get top four at this point in time? Six. Not, okay. Yeah, I could, okay. you know, we're good at self-sabotage. Yeah. Rosa, out of 10? I'm going to go with seven. I feel, because okay. I think probably we are the, yeah, we are the kind of least idiotic of the remaining contenders and I'm annoyed about that because I feel again this is something that we were talking about last week and I and again like I sort of merrily said this is fine like we've won like our, the other teams have lost and we've won a game so we're like doing it for ourselves rather than like relying on the teams around us to save us from ourselves and this that is exactly what happened this weekend so it does feel like it's going to be a bit of a drunken stumble to the finish line but I think we'll probably be the most sober, sober of the drunks, yeah. <laughs> um, I guess that takes us on to our next, uh, the next sort of pub on this drunken sort of bar crawl to to the finish line. Um, Brentford away on the weekend. Um, Going to be pretty tough. Going to be pretty tough, the Christian Eriksen derby, I think. Um, they obviously beat West Ham 2-1 on the weekend. Very like, weirdly similar fashion to how we beat Watford with a sort of 95th minute um, 
a sort of set piece goal, I think it was, or a, at least a, a header from a, a goal from across. Um, they've won five out of their last six. Um, Ericsson's obviously playing incredibly well. Um, and I guess, yeah, it'd be interesting to see if a bit like Brighton, they play it quite kind of tactically and limit that space in those areas that we like. Or if perhaps they'll be kind of too roared on by a home crowd sort of having a party, you know, in the sunshine, London Derby, teams flying, and therefore they'll just kind of take the handbrake off and really go for us, which might play into our hands. I feel like we said a lot of this last week, hoping Brighton would do that and didn't. So fingers crossed Brentford are a little more gung-ho. I'm really, really nervous about this one, as you can probably tell. Is anyone able to... Uh, calm me down. Anyone, Rosa, Tom? I'll do it because I think that it is going to be, yes, Brentford are good. And obviously Ericsson in particular has made a massive difference to them, right? And, and watching us on Saturday, we really miss a player like him. So all that said, we, we were so, so, so bad. And I just think if we play properly, it's not, it just shouldn't be so relevant what the other team does if we can mm. just get our best players doing what they're supposed to do. That should be enough. Whether it will be, I don't know. But that should give you a little bit of comfort and a little bit of hope to know that those players are still better. Maybe not than Ericsson. Well, yeah. I don't know. But ultimately, altogether, they are better, right? And if they, and they are better coached, usually... And if they do what they're supposed to do and they do it properly, we should be okay, I think. Like, I, don't, I just, you know, there's no accounting for Tottenham, really, so that may not happen. But <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Ericsson was on my mind um, watching that Brighton game. I was reminded of that, uh, the fixture against Brighton at the new stadium just after it opened when we were really sort of pushing for top four, struggling to get too many results and found ourselves up against a sort of similarly robust Brighton uh, defence and midfield and we just couldn't get through until Ericsson sort of blasted one in in what was it like the 88th, 89th minute and I was sort of reminded that we don't really have anyone that's like and I don't know if this is a tactic but like we don't really ever take on shots from distance and so much like maybe I'm completely wrong there but it doesn't feel like we've got players who have those kind of pot shots from distance mm-hmm. either in their locker or perhaps Conte saying no that's a you know Maybe he does actually listen to XG. That was also in kind of Ericsson's extremely disinterested uh, phase as well, wasn't it? When he was, uh, when he clearly wanted to leave. Um, But yeah, we don't have any creative midfielder who takes on shots from distance or who can take a bloody free kick either. (laughs) So um, I think we all want Ericsson back at at, at the lane, even if. I mean, even just off the bench, he'd be so yeah. good to bring on it for yeah. those last 20, 30 minutes. He's still, you know, he still, he still seems to have legs in him, but um, he is, he is aging. So even to have him off the bench would be incredible. And yeah, I can't really, it was only three weeks ago that Brentford absolutely smashed Chelsea at Stamford Bridge and they were brilliant that day. Um, I mean, Chelsea were bad, but they were really good. Mm. Um, and yeah, I just, I'm going to feel so sad when Ericsson does something amazing. <laughs> yeah, now I'm, I'd forgotten about the Chelsea game and now I'm actually scared. 
Do you know what? I don't really mind the thing about not taking shots from distance because I feel like unless you have someone who can really do it, um, then it's just often a mark of frustration. Like you don't want to hurry when you're doing it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Um, that doesn't, yeah. It would be nice to have someone. Um, I guess the thing, you know, the thing that comforts me with the, like that Brentford Chelsea game particularly is Chelsea were obviously the home team that day were pushing forward, looking for a goal, etc. I think we'll go back to being a lot more sort of countering Tottenham, sort of soaking up pressure, looking to hit them on the break. So I'm, I'm hoping that also away from home, you know, we won't, I think it's probably easier for them a bit. I think the pressure tolls on the weekends and I think there's definitely a, you know, I saw on Twitter there was a bit of back and forth between various sort of Spurs Twitter factions around whether or not the atmosphere in the stadium was sort of, you know, too much one way in terms of being a bit too negative or whether, you know, actually the performance was that dreadful that, you know, what more can you actually do as a fan? You can only really respond to what you're served up. Um, I'm of the latter opinion, to be honest. I feel like the crowd was largely fine. But, the, you know, there's only so many times. Like, I, I know that whole thing about, like, it's all right to recycle the ball and it's fine to pass out from the back. But there are only so many times you can watch Hugo to Romero to Dyer to Hugo before you just start feeling like you've gone mad. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> That's exactly what that first half was to me, right in front of me in the South Stand. <laughs> Romero, Dyer, Hugo. Romero, Dyer, Hugo. Oh, my God. Royale looking fucking clueless. <laughs> Although not our worst performer, Emma. No, I, yeah. no. I, I thought second half. Not actually a disaster. Was, yeah. And I just, I, oh God, just spent the whole, <laughs> so much of last week's podcast talking about how Royale will be absolutely fine now because he's got Romero and Kulisevsky next to him and ahead of him. And I think Romero and Kulisevsky easily put in their worst performances in a Spurs shirt, I think. Romero was so bad compared to how he's been. It was, Again, we're we're getting back to just being really miserable. Um, I think we'll be all right. Give me give me some predictions, some score predictions for Brentford. Tom, two one, Ericsson to two on Spurs. Yeah, two on Spurs and Ericsson to either assist or score their goal. Okay, Rosa. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. To be honest, I I don't feel confident um, in predicting anything bigger than that. Really. I want to say a 2-2 draw because I feel like I, I'm, I, I always predict Spurs win. And but we don't draw. So that just no, feels that's like that's just yeah, like that's one of the things that's not going to happen. <laughs> oh, God. Um, and I noticed that was a real theme in a lot of the interviews the players gave after Brighton was this sort of line about if you can't win, you, you, you take the draw. You like make sure that you draw. You don't lose. And I wonder if we'll start to see a slightly more conservative Spurs in certain fixtures going forward where it's just like, you know, see what is going on around you. Just do what do just what you have to do and get out of there. Like no frills, no nothing. Um, and, you know, it's a big, it's obviously a huge week for Arsenal. They've got Chelsea, you know, potentially as you're listening to this podcast, the Chelsea game could have happened already. Hopefully Chelsea do us a favour, but... <laughs> Even again, saying Chelsea will do Spurs a favour sounds even more ridiculous the more I think about it. Um, but you would hope that Chelsea would have enough at home to at least not let Arsenal win. But we'll see. And then United go to the Emirates on 
on Saturday for the early kickoff. So um, hopefully good old Ralph puts 11 men behind the ball and plays out some god-awful nil-nil draw because United don't seem to be actually capable of stringing anything together. Um, Ronaldo might be back, so that could that could help us out. But I think United yeah. could get something out of that, actually. Like, they're obviously woeful tonight, but Liverpool are, you know, a monster. And I think they'll, they'll be more competent against Arsenal, I would imagine. You'd hope, yeah. And Arsenal at Liverpool, like, watching some of that, I saw some of the first half before we recorded tonight and Liverpool were just like toying with United like a cat with a sort of one-legged mouse. It was just, it was, it was, it was actually field. quite cruel. It was really <laughs> cruel. <laughs> but hope, yeah, I, I think that, I think Saturday was an aberration and we'll be all right. I do. I think in the, the grand, although I've just said we'll draw, I think bigger picture, I think we're still going to get I think we're still going to get fourth. I think we're going to be all right. Um, speaking of stressful weeks, Spurs women begin their Chelsea Hell Week on Sunday. Rosa, they go to the well. They don't. Well, we do go to the high, but that is our home stadium. <laughs> um, we visit. No, we don't. Why do I keep saying visiting and we go to? We play Chelsea at the Hive on Sunday. Um, Chelsea seem to be completely unbeatable, so that's just going to be a kind of keep the score respectable operation I guess right yeah I think so um it's been quite a nice week for Spurs women in some ways because um they've they've got sort of three new contracts sorted which is nice so including um, the the big one I guess right yeah 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 so she's what locked down for like another Really very short contracts yeah. in the, I don't even, yeah, it's like, maybe that's the thing in the women's game I don't yeah, really know um, because they all seem to have only been signed to like 2024 or something um, yeah so her and Ash Neville and Kit Graham all signed didn't they um, so that was nice but also it's bummer because obviously Kit Graham's out for the season and then also Rhea Percival got injured like did an ACL and is out like indefinitely so that's a bit Mm. unlucky really like really rough for her obviously and not great timing for Spurs either so I think yeah it's just going to be like get through that game and try to come out the other side alive with a bit of your dignity still intact I guess um, just in time to then on Wednesday go away to Chelsea <laughs> so just, honestly the, I don't understand dignity, it. whatever dignity they have intact from Sunday can be completely dismantled. We'll uh, just take it from picture. one game. Doesn't matter. One yeah. will do. Then they've got we've got Everton, and then we've got the Derby at the Emirates, and then I think it's the the game at the stadium. That's something to look forward to for Spurs yeah. women. That'll be a lovely occasion. Uh, I feel like we've been saying this for the last few weeks, but it's nearly sold out now, hasn't it, Rosa? It is. Well, this is. It. I was like, because I sort of said, oh, I'll, I'll sort the tickets out and then had uh, sort of kept remembering at like inconvenient times and then forgetting when it was actually time to do it and checked today and then saw that there were, like, it was nearly sold out. So I had to um, message Ollie in a bit of a flap because I was out with the kids being like, can you book loads of tickets right now? And he did it, fortunately. So thank you, my love. Um, yeah, because I guess what I had forgotten was they're not going to open up the whole stadium, right? So just I was like, it'll team. be fine. There's like a massive stadium. How's it going to sell out? But yeah, they don't do the whole thing, do they? So that's not my but even that's even the lack that's of promising. ambition for you, Tottenham Hotspur. That that's in itself though, still really really good because yeah, I've amazing. been to a few a few games there where it's definitely not even just the lower sort of ring mm. has 
been you know maybe 50 percent full if that so you know definitely 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 a, a really really positive step forward that it that does and you know what it does it speaks to their good season i think yeah for sure and also just the general i think the I think the social media that the women's team have mm. the Spurs women has really stepped up this season. I think the interaction between the sort of men's accounts and the women's accounts seems to have been consciously upped um, and improved. And yeah, just, you know, I think we've all gotten to know the players a bit more as well. Like, yeah, it's just, they've made it a lot easier for us, which, yeah. is, which is what you need really. Definitely. Um, uh, let's move on to culture, but, I'm going to do a sort of crossover because um, I guess, well, there were two standout sort of Coy's culture uh, crossover moments uh, over the Easter weekend. There was um, the new Kendrick Lamar album being announced, which is very, very exciting. Um, it's a shame Ash isn't on to talk about that, our resident sort of hip hop expert. Um, and uh, we've got a new famous fan in uh, well, Spurs women, I guess, primarily have a famous fan in uh, uh, Emma Raducanu, which I was particularly excited about as a sort of Bromley slash Orpington raised uh, tennis playing Spurs fan. Um, basically, my like ideal uh, celebrity fan. Um, I did a bit of digging around because I was like, is she definitely a fan or is she just like, she's... You, you better know, tell me be she a- definitely is because I don't want to well, hear it if not. Oh. Well, because she's obviously like, no, 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 wait, wait. Did your investigation <laughs> find out, Charlie? Um, because Kendrick, also, let's just say, uh, Kendrick, I don't know. He wore. It doesn't matter. Oh, he wore a shirt once. He wore he's some ours. merch once. It was Nike. Someone gave it to him, but whatever. We're claiming. Listen, him. he allowed himself to be pictured in it. So, you know. At a very prominent <laughs> sort of hip hop summit, I seem to remember, where, yeah, anyway, but. I'm, I'm with Tom. I'm fairly certain that Kendrick Lamar does not get up at 4am to watch uh, Spurs games on the weekend. From I'm just going to say, if you're not ashamed to be seen in the shirt, that's good enough for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's not even. I mean, I obviously, you know, the, the Spurs cock rule is something very, very close to me, but it's not even like we've got an especially like cool, like, I, I guess it is iconic in that it's, you know, it's been around since 1882, but it's not the coolest of the badges, I would say. So if you were just like a person that wasn't attached to it, why would you pick it? Like, why would you pick it? Anyway. Um, it's better than so, a gun. Uh, it's better than a stupid devil pitchfork trident thing. Whatever. The, <laughs> what's the word I'm looking for? I can't think. It's dumb anyway. No, you, you described United's badge pretty well there, Rosa. Um, <laughs> so Emma, so... Yeah, I was like, oh, she's a Nike athlete. So maybe like she's just been given some Nike stuff or whatever. Or like, you know, but anyway, so I did, there was a story in the Telegraph about it. They sort of did a, a sort of mini investigation as to like why Emma Raducanu had sort of come out seemingly as a Spurs fan. So it turns out all of her sort of team around her are massive Spurs fans, including her physio, whose name I think is Chris, who's a big, big, big Spurs fan. It was his birthday. Um, on the Monday when she was pictured in the shirt. Um, and I think like as a sort of present to him, she was like wearing the shirt, but she did then also talk about, um, she really got into football watching the Euros last summer and Harry Kane was her sort of favourite, being the captain and everything. Um, and then she also loves Sonny. So Sonny sort of worth to the club, again, just proving completely priceless over and over again. Um, 
And then she said, basically, her team have sort of kept on at her to pick a football team and they've steadily worn her down so that she now does have affection for Spurs and that basically they're her team now. So I think I think she's safely ours. Yeah, I think yeah. it's she's okay. Ours. Um, it was thrilling. Thought, what a day. What a day that was on social media. I can not believe it. it yeah. <laughs> She's such well, a superstar. Bizarrely, her, if it's the same physio, he lives about two streets from me, um, Radicanu's physio. And when she Get won her the US on Open, the pod. it was here. It's a guy, uh, uh, I think. Yeah. And he, um, when she won the US Open, he was obviously on TV a lot. I think he was allowed in to the US with her and then the next week or a few days later I walked past him in the street and almost grabbed him like he was sort of Brad Pitt or something I was like oh shit I know that guy I know it's Radicanu's physio but if I see him in the street again I'm going to grab him and go are you Spurs is she Spurs will she come on our podcast will she come on our podcast (laughs) please this is now yeah this is basically where we're going so I've just I'm just looking at the uh there's a story on ESPN. So she says, my whole team basically are big Spurs fans and I feel like they're really egging me on. Uh, they're desperately trying to get me behind them. I don't necessarily follow football so much, but I feel like now because of them, I'm feeling some sort of connection. That's the, <laughs> the loosest affiliation she can politely make, I think. Then she goes on to say, I loved following the Euros last year and watching Harry Kane, who's obviously the England captain. And Son Heung-min, I'm a big fan of him as well. So, yeah, I like to dabble. Um, so then Will Herbert, who's her physio, not Chris, Will, uh, he posted on Instagram to joke that his work was done after sharing an image of her wearing her new little white kit. Um, Emma has been baptised a Spurs fan, he wrote. Hopefully we both pick up some trophies now. Um, so I think I think it's OK. I think she's she's basically Spurs. Um that's that's very exciting. Uh, and yeah, Listen, if we target. can claim Zendaya, we can definitely claim Emma. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just our podcast that's claiming Zendaya. <laughs> but anyway, um, so let's let's rattle through some culture picks. Um, I mean, those that those are the headlines, obviously. But uh, I still want to know what you guys have been reading, watching, listening, uh, observing, etc. Rosa, tell me what you've been up to. Um, just a couple of telly bits from me this week so the other night i started watching winning time have we talked about that before we haven't I but i was going to talk it. about winning time tonight oh, myself so uh, no no no, no, well, no. I've only it's, watched one it's better when we it's better yeah. when we a few of us have watched it I think. um yeah what I, did you think I, I absolutely loved it um i like full disclosure my basketball knowledge is limited to uh the last answer michael jordan documentary and uh hang time if you'll recall that <laughs> sitcom. <laughs> I very much do, yeah. That and, that and Hanging with Mr. Cooper were yeah. my sort of gateways into my basketball love growing up. So, so yeah, yeah sure. exactly. So I don't really know anything about basketball. It's very confusing to me. I don't really understand how they all play each other so many times. That's the biggest <laughs> mystery. <laughs> but um, obviously I know like the major characters who were involved in this, the rise of the sort of Lakers LA Lakers dynasty in the 80s um it's very slick it's very it's like everybody looks very cool um the it's very guys, Adam McKay it's very, it's very it's Adam like, McKay if and you don't like Adam like, McKay you'll have a hard yeah. time with this show because it is so stylized and slick and 
fourth yeah. wall breaking and all the rest of it i found that and that works for me i have to say it does i quite enjoyed it like some of it was it was a bit too much at times but mostly it worked for me and maybe that is because i don't know very much about basketball so mm. i enjoyed kind of being spoken to like i was an idiot um and <laughs> i just think the cast is so good as well so you've got so you've got john c riley and rob morgan and gabby hoffman but the guys they've cast as the, the sort of like laker King, the guy that plays really. magic, Quin- Quincy Isaiah, who plays magic, so charismatic. He's incredible. Seriously, it just like, yeah, like bounces off the screen, right? Um, Adrian also, Brody is fantastic as well. Oh, he has a show because I've only watched the first oh, okay. episode. I haven't seen him yet. Um, and the guy who plays Kareem, Abdul Javar, is amazing as well. And mm-hmm. apparently, like, was um, a basketball player and then quit to like become um, an academic. Which is very, very cool. And this is his first ever acting job, which is amazing. And the guy who plays, um, is it Norm Nixon, Mm. is um, his son. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's very cool. And they, those three look unbelievably cool. And it also, so the guy who, the woman who plays um, Kareem's wife is Sarah Ramos. I don't know if you ever watched Parenthood, which I very much enjoyed back in the day. And she was from there. So that was, so it's always nice to see her pop up and things. But I'm really enjoying it. Um, I, yeah, it's just nice. Yeah, it's really slickly done. It's really well acted. It looks great. And it's just fun to find out about something that I just, yeah, I don't know very much about. Can I just say, I also don't know anything about basketball and I haven't yet watched this show, but I do love a celebrity feud. And did you read that basically Adam McKay and Will Ferrell fell out over this show? Because he didn't cast him. Yeah. And yeah, because he cast John C. Riley instead. The biggest Lakers fan of all time, right? Yeah. Um, and Adam McKay and Will Ferrell have got this production company. It sounds like basically Will somehow found out that his best mate, his other best mate, John C. Riley, somehow got the part and he did His stepbrother. Yes, yeah, his <laughs> literal stepbrother got the part. And it's, I presume it's, I again, Charlie, can you explain? But it's like an iconic, he's an iconic coach, an iconic character, right? He's, he's, the, the, he's the owner. Yeah, yeah the he's... Owner, He's, he's Jerry Bass that buys the Lakers. Yeah, I did like the feud because, yeah, they're obviously both producers on Succession and yeah. all the big, all Adam McKay's other films and stuff. I think it, it's um, worth falling out over because John C. Riley is just so perfect in that role. And, like, just I, I always really enjoy it when you can see that actors are having a great time. Yeah. (laughs) John C. Riley is having the absolute time of his life playing this role. Like he just looks overjoyed. He's beaming in every scene. He just (laughs) looks like, looks really well. Like everything just, he's like the stars of the line for him in this role. It's just, it's perfect for him. The thing that really made me laugh about it though, is it's like having the, um, like owner of a um, of a sports team be like your kind of sympathetic way into finding out about sports <laughs> yeah. team just feels so like at odds <laughs> with everything we feel about our sport. <laughs> like the it's camera and Daniel Levy. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine the, the sort of Gabby Hoffman character being at Spurs though. The sort of long suffering. Yeah, I'm of, obsessed with her already, obviously. Yeah, she's, I can, yeah. I, you must be a big Gabby Hoffman fan, right? She sort of, of ticks a lot of your boxes. Yeah, of course sure. she does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's good. It's great car as we've just rattled through. It's really, really good people in it. And you will love Adrian Brody turning up because he 
his sort of metamorphosis through the episodes is, is really incredible to watch. Um, any, any other things, Rosa? Yeah, so I watched the first episode of um, Slow Horses on Apple TV, which is the sort of spy, the MI5 spy yeah. thing with Gary Oldman and Kristen Scott Thomas, um, which I really enjoyed. So it's um, about this guy who gets sort of like demoted basically down to like whatever weird MI5 backwater um, that they send kind of all their failed spies to and Gary Oldman is in charge. Um, and it's, so it's based on a series of books, I believe, but it's also written by someone who used to write for Veep, which is fun and executive produced by Graham Yost, who did Justified, which I loved. So that was all kind of fun coming together for me. Um, yeah, I enjoyed it. I'm, it also has someone in it um, that I went to school with. So that was a really nice surprise. <laughs> Oh, lovely. <laughs> yeah, Dustin Demery Burns, who plays one of the sort of um, losers, I guess, in who are sort of stuck at Slough House, the slow horse. It's very cool. I, I liked it a lot. I love Gary Oldman, even though he's um, slightly problematic. He's obviously an unbelievably good actor, and it's nice. Again, he's he's having one of those performances, I think, where he's just having a great time in mm. that role, similar to John C. Riley. I need to dive into that because the amount of people telling me that it is actually really good is is growing by the week. Have you started watching that yet, Tom? No, I am definitely up for that one. And uh, there is a growing list of Apple TV shows that I need to watch and potentially just need to cancel Netflix as well because I don't really watch anything on there. Um, and it feels like some of the other streamers have overtaken it. I also need to start Hacks, which I know some of you guys have been watching, which is on Amazon Prime in the UK. Um, yeah, Billy's obsessed. Rosa, have you turned a corner with it? Because I know you weren't Yeah, thrilled. no, I'm loving it. I'm really loving oh, okay. it. I'm only, oh, um, I didn't get as far with it as Billy, but I'm like five episodes in. And yeah, it's definitely, it's, it, it just is improving with every episode. So I'm fully in for sure. Cool. That's next on our list, I think, actually. Um, cool. Thanks, Rosa. Tom, what have you got? I, well, yeah, talking of Apple TV, I really, really enjoyed um, Severance. I just finished it um, <laughs> at the weekend. Charlie's laughing because I don't think Rosa loved it, but um, I know I thought it was good. I think, as Rosa would say, it was quite slow for the first couple of episodes, but it really sped up and it was just I'm not even that into kind of sci-fi and kind of mystery fantasy stuff but the concept of it where essentially your brain split in two and you can be one person at work and one person in your home life and neither part of your brain knows what's going on with the other half if that makes sense um so it's quite kind of high concept but the, the it's directed most of it is directed by Ben Stiller and the cast are just incredible. Adam Scott from Parks and Recreation is amazing. Christopher Walken is wicked in it. John Turturro. Um, Patricia Arquette, who I kind of, I know she's a very famous person, but I don't really know what I've seen her in. I've seen her in things, but she's, um, she's great. True Romance, iconic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, in True Romance, of course. But like, yeah, I've, I can't remember anything I'd seen her in recently. She was recently. in Boyhood quite recently. And she was I fantastic never, in that. I feel like I started Boyhood and I couldn't get on with it. Oh my God. So but see, she's, she is so good in that. And okay. Ethan Hawke is also brilliant in that as well. She's quite, um, 
terrifying in severance um and and the, the whole kind of thing is very spooky and kind of it's very kubrick i thought um uh i really loved it it's kind of my favorite tv thing in a while uh, apart from obviously well dairy girls has restarted so i've only i've only watched one but i'll talk about that on another episode and Britt lauer who's in severance um is kind of the breakout star she plays heli and she's like really really good and again i'm not sure what i've seen her in she's much younger than Patricia Arquette so potentially I've seen her in nothing but yeah I liked Severance a lot and the finale episode was really good Ben Stiller said he was inspired in that episode by 24 so while a lot of some of the other episodes are a bit slow and ponderous the finale is really amazing and moves at a brisk pace when you told me it was only 40 minutes, I was just like, I feel so attacked because I feel like every episode I watched was like at least an hour and moved so slowly and like nothing happened. And now you're telling me like, stick it out to the finale when everything happens in 40 minutes. No, yeah, I feel first, attacked. The first few were like an hour and an hour and 10. And I honestly skipped through the menu to go, okay, yeah, most of them are 45 <laughs> minutes. They're just kind of fooling us with the first couple. So you're telling me it's my own fault, basically. I didn't you, do my research. You should have stuck with it. You should have, yeah. I should. might just, I think I will just watch the finale, to be honest. I feel like if most of the things happened then, that's fine. It's worth it. The finale's very exciting and done very well. And it's like a real kind of action thriller compared to some of the rest of the series. There's a really, yeah, there's some beautiful stuff between John Turturro and Christopher Walken's Yeah, that well. was, if there'd been more of that, I think I would have um, stuck with it a bit more. I was explaining the, um, the premise to someone the other night um, and they were like, oh, that sounds good. So you would just go to work, but you would never know about it. And I was like, no, but there'd be a part of you that was, would only ever be at work. Yeah. So you stop work and, you, and then you're back like a second later. So I think the sort of inherent like torture of that concept is like not obvious straight away. Yeah, you're right. The, the kind of terror of that concept becomes clear as the series goes on, I think. Um, and I read a good interview with Ben Stiller uh, in Rolling Stone, which is full of spoilers. You can only read it after finishing it. But he sort of explained that essentially they're like adolescents, the, the um, versions of themselves in the workplace because they don't really know anything and they're growing. It's a whole new life. Anyway, it was a really, it was interesting, really interesting concept. And I think it's already got a second series. So uh, it'll be like 2024 or something annoyingly. Um, incredible reviews really across the board that show seems like Rosa is the only dissenting voice um, but maybe you can still turn it around Rosa yeah I'm not ashamed you know I'm just I'm an iconoclast <laughs> <laughs> um, Tom anything else anything you've heard this week no I don't think so uh, the Jamie XX single I was going to talk about that and I thought you might that's wicked no the, the Jamie XX single is wicked it's maybe like the most kind of upfront and kind of pumping thing he's he's done in ages really. let's do it again it's Ever. cool and it's superb it's really yeah, really good it's got a wicked kind of soul sample that and then yeah I'm really happy Derry Girls is back the first episode of that of series three was wicked series three or is it four well, it's the final series three I think yeah final Speaking of third and final series, um, Tom, I know you don't watch the split, but Rosa and I are split heads and uh, we've got two to go. So I don't want to, maybe we should revisit this when we both watched all of it, but it's just, a, I love it so much. I'm, I'm already like, 
preparing myself for the grief I will feel when it's over and I'm not around the uh, sisters Defoe any longer, even though I they're can't so stand messy, two of them. They're so messy, they're so great. <laughs> I mean, I love, I love Nicola Walker's character, obviously, but the other two are two of the most irritating characters that have ever been written for television. Um, Rose is slightly improved this season for obvious reasons. It took something quite seismic happening mm-hmm. to her for that to happen. Um, yeah, it's it's just so ridiculous that this series particularly is so over the top and at times completely nonsensical in terms of people's reactions to what is going on. But, oh, it's just so slick and fantastic and silly and soapy and it's really so well acted. It's so and compelling. You're right, there's like... It's, it's that classic thing of it's well-written at times and then at other times the characters are just obvious mouthpieces because of the writer's <laughs> got something they want to say. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's no like consistency to that show at all. It goes from being like, you can be in floods of tears one second because something is written so like poignantly and perfectly and then the next you're like, no one in human history has ever said that out loud. <laughs> that is what people who who write things think that people like they can't figure out how you would actually say it. anyway it's um i really it's would so satisfying I'd, it's so satisfying and i feel like rosa and i are banging on about this every week now but i really really would if you're in the mood for something that is like sort of crap good like and is just not going to test you too much but isn't like ridiculously bad or ridiculously like throw away. So it's such a good show to just like allow to wash over you. Mm-hmm. And um, only watch- six episodes per season. So yeah, exactly. Um, what have you got to lose? What have you got to lose? Um, I also watched the Gaza documentary that the B put out, um, which uh, is, we're going to go into that in a bit more detail on our hometown glory special very soon but i really 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 would recommend uh giving it a watch both episodes are like obviously we've watched tons of stuff about gaza before and he's such a documented figure in sport and celebrity and everything else but i feel like this captures such a i mean such a dark sort of obviously side to him but also just really digs into the culture of how he was reported and that sort of peak kind of Gaza hunting that happened in that sort of early 90s, mid 90s period where, you know, it felt like papers had whole desks just sort of on him at all times. And, you know, he was so easily led and was such a naive character in so many ways that he was primed for this sort of treatment. And, you know, he's obviously, he's not painted as an angel or some sort of, you know, entirely uh, sort of pure guy who was just wronged by bad people. That's that's not how it's pitched at all. But it's um, it's just a really really fascinating portrait of an incredibly you know important person in sort of I guess relatively modern Spurs history and British football history. So and it's two parts, both an hour long. It's not too you know it's not too too much to commit to. It's just really really interesting. I thought, yeah, it's interesting because I've got quite sort of mixed feelings about watching it and about Gaza in general, obviously, because he was such a, you know, an icon of our club, but also obviously with his history of domestic violence. I, I, I find it really difficult, the sort of worship that he still gets. 
Nets at Spurs. So I was a bit like, oh, I don't know if I want to watch this. But at the same time, like, you know, I loved the Maradona um, film. And obviously he is a pretty, mm. was a kind of problematic, troubled figure himself. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, if you if you say it's worth it, then I'll give it a go. I just, do you know what I mean? I have that sort of Yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely worth it because, you know, I think I'm going to be, 39 years old so he is you know one of the reasons I'm a Spurs fan from you know that sort of 91 cup final team obviously Italia 90 like those are big gateway like Spurs slash football moments for me so he's he's always been a, at the kind of forefront of my mind I suppose when I think about people that got me into football so yeah I think this is a really nuanced sort of way of tackling the Gaza problem which is a you know which is a problem I think for those of us who love Spurs who love football um, who got into football partly because of you know him and people like him um, so I would definitely recommend watching it I really really would I think they've, they've done it in a very balanced way um, and you know as someone who's worked in journalism I think it's really interesting as well um, so yeah, I think it's it's definitely worth a watch. Um, I need to watch it. I think uh, he was really it was interesting to see him on gone fishing um, with uh, Paul Whitehouse and Bob Mortimer at Christmas, and I think it was sad. But I guess part of it was like, wow, wow it's amazing he's still alive. To be honest, um, given everything, and I'm kind of. Um, a bit useless on like Spurs history as well. Like I, I just, I kind of all, um, think live in the moment and the kind of present mm. team. Um, so I'm interested to look back and I kind of, because my dad wasn't a nut, he was a Spurs fan, but he wasn't like, I, I, when I was little, I don't remember watching tons of Spurs and or paying too much attention to, to us in the early nineties anyway. So I'm interested to watch it, but yeah, it's that like, sad story and yeah like such a such mixed emotions seeing him obviously um and I guess yeah I'm interested to see how nuanced it is like how much it paints it as his own fault or personal responsibility versus the kind of pressures he was under I guess Mm. I think because there's not loads of sort of like you know sit down interviews with him now it you don't get that sort of like there's not the opportunity for him to kind of have the story presented how he wants it to be presented. If you know what I mean, it's more, you know, it's stuff from the time it's talking to people who, you know, in some ways have kind of, there's a, there's a few journalists that have been sort of done for phone hacking and stuff that are basically at a point in their lives where they're just like, yeah, this is what happened. Like it was really, really bad. I feel quite morally, you know, troubled by how it all was back then but this is how it was I'm just now at a point where I'm quite happy to talk about it and you know I have to live with everything that happened back then so you get all these sort of interesting quite candid um, sort of testimonies from people who have sort of I guess come clean with their own role in that sort of era of reporting and all the rest of it which you know I mean, Tom and I both, Tom and I both came through certain um, <laughs> certain paths 
the journalism which you know makes that incredibly interesting to watch i think um so yeah definitely worth the watch and we'll, we'll go into that a bit more uh when everyone's watched it i think as well because I'd, I'd love you guys to to give it a watch um right i reckon that's a, us about done um we i think kept the mood fairly light considering the weekend so thanks tom thanks rosa for helping helping us along with that this evening um fingers crossed thank you arsenal <laughs> and final shout out thank they, you they arsenal. literally saved our weekend they saved our weekend let's hope um you know when you're listening to this they haven't salvaged their midweek by uh beating chelsea but we shall shall see about that and hopefully spurs will be brentford and it won't matter um lovely stuff thank you both ever so much that was a joy as always thank you for listening um rosa you can see us out tonight as billy's not here up the spurs ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.